Um, all right, so we just were in Revelation chapter six and Revelation chapter six, and we were introduced to literally a whole bunch of wrath, right? We all came out of here just praising God last week, just, you know, thankful and, uh, and all of that. No, it was, it, was, it was tough, you know, because we kept seeing things getting worse and worse and worse. And one of the challenges uh, for this whole series is, is the reality that, uh, one, John the author, the Apostle John, he's writing this, and he's writing it off of these experiences that he's had where he's ushered into the very presence of God, and he's seen things, and, 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 and then he's writing what he's seen, okay? And, uh, and, and we know that, that there's purpose behind it. In fact, he's writing to these seven specific historical churches. He's got a specific message is given to him by God for them. We know that those messages aren't just for them because throughout Revelation, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Uh, in other words, it was good for those churches. It's been good for the churches throughout history and our church today. We also know that in the book of Revelation, it kicks off with, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as we go on this journey, unpacking uh, complicated things, uh, things that we don't have full clarity on, we have to go back and go, man, are we straying away from the purpose of the book, which is to reveal who Jesus is? And, and so that's gotta be a common theme. And then also there's a promise in the book of Revelation that no other book has attached to it. And it's a promise that we saw in chapter one, that those who read this out loud, receive it and obey these words will be blessed, it says. And so, here we are going, man, this has got to be important uh, for us today, but we're left with these images, these pictures that John is communicating to us about. He's trying to bring us into what he's seen. And so for us, our goal ultimately is to just try and see what he's seeing. And the language he uses to describe what he's seeing is, is really tough because we see symbolism. We see moments where we go, okay, I think he's being literal here, but I think he's maybe, uh, he's using language that was symbolic here. And so we're trying to put these puzzle pieces together through the lens of the Old Testament in, in a lot of places because what he knows, the vernacular he used is the Old Testament. And so throughout this series, we've been going back and pulling, into, pulling back scripture into verses in chapters that some of us have never been in before. And we're like, oh, that's why that's in our Bible. Oh, okay. Um, and, and so it's been really helpful, but yet it's still very challenging. Uh, my, my youngest son, he's got a lot of picture books uh, right now. And he was sitting down with me and walking me through one of his books and can't read yet. And, and so he's, he's telling me about the picture in the book. And he's describing it to me. And he's telling me what uh, the different uh, individuals in the book, what they're doing, why they're doing it, and, and all that's happening. He's explaining it to me. And, and I'm seeing the, the pictures on the pages. And, and at one point, I started thinking, you're doing a better job for me than John is. Uh, like, and, and just how he's describing these pictures. And I was like, man, that's the challenge we have is we're trying to describe through uh, the eyes of John. And so let's pick up in chapter seven as he uh, kicks it off saying, after this, I saw. In other words, he's seen something else and he's bringing us into it. 
Okay, so in Revelation chapter seven, verses one through three, it says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given given power to harm earth and sea saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. All right, simple enough. So after he has seen, and remember what he has just seen. He has seen divine wrath. He has seen uh, massive destruction on the earth, in the heavens, uh, and he's seen the, the lamb, uh, the lamb of God, uh, opening these six seals and systematically going through them. But the seventh seal that we know is there that we're gonna look at in a minute The seventh seal before he goes into that is delay. We see this delay happen, right? And it's like John is in this moment catching a glimpse, uh, seeing something that's gonna help him make sense and help him understand what he's just seen in chapter six. And so he's catching sight. It's like this important detail that, that he didn't notice before and now he is, is seeing it. And, and what he sees here provides an answer to the question that chapter six concluded with. And the question was, who can stand in the day of the Lamb's wrath? So he sees these four angels holding the four winds of the earth and they're holding back the four winds of of judgment that have the power to harm the earth. And and so these uh, angels, they're the agents of his righteous judgment and destruction and they're ready to act. But but then this judgment we see is delayed. Why, Why is it delayed? Well, there's another angel he sees flying and this angel has the seal of God in his hand. And that angel says, hold up, wait, don't, don't harm anything until everyone is sealed. Now, Revelation 14, uh, it informs us that this seal is the name of the lamb and the name of the father. It's the opposite of, in Revelation 13, we see the mark of the beast, right? Some of you are like, ooh, I can't wait till Revelation 13, you know? Um, And so this is in opposition to that, okay? And and so we see the word sealing or being sealed. uh, We see it, uh, it has Old Testament roots. It comes, uh, we see it in Ezekiel chapter nine, verse four, uh, where, where it says, and the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it, okay? So, uh, the seal there in the Old Testament, that was before he's about to, uh, to bring judgment on this city. And he, and he tells the angel, go forth and identify those who are in alignment with who I am and what I'm about, okay? And so what that seal was and what it did was it was a promise of possession, right? That you belong to God, you are his. It also was a promise of protection, 
Okay, so, so it demonstrated possession that you belong to God. And then also it showed protection that you are protected, okay? Um, Paul in Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, he says something similar when he says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, he says. Okay, so, so what, what is he saying here? Um, that this seal is this, is this stamp of, of ownership, right? That, that, that I belong to God. So if I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he has sealed me through the work of the Holy Spirit. I belong to him. Yeah, there should be a few amens to that. Like, like I mean, I think that's good, yeah. But not only is it a sign or seal of ownership, but it's also a seal of authenticity. Authenticity. When I was younger, uh, I used to collect autographs. And, and you always had to look out for autographs, uh, autographs from like, I don't know, athletes and stuff. And, and it was something my dad and I would, would do together. And, and, and I remember you had to make sure there was the certificate of authenticity with it. If it didn't have it, don't trust it. So there was this certificate that, that, that said, this is real, okay? This seal that, that we see being talked about is, is the seal that reveals the authenticity of our faith, okay? So there's a lot of people, and I would say in a room this size and people watching online, there are a lot of people that are just going along with uh, Christianity, uh, there's a lot of people that are just saying things to agree, uh, acknowledging, oh yeah, I believe, or, or I, I think it's more right than wrong, or it's probably the best option out of a lot of wrong ones, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm in with that. But there's a difference. In fact, we see uh, in scripture how it talks about, there's gonna be a lot of people that, that are gonna stand before God and say, I did all this. I said this in your name, I believed. And he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. So there's an authenticity issue, isn't there? There's an authenticity issue that you and I are dealing with today. And, and, and so part of the seal is to reveal who, whose faith is real, right? Who's, whose belief in Jesus is a real thing. It's a reality for them. And so I think what's sad is even in this room, there's some of you who are just going along with this, maybe even just pretending, and yet this faith is not your own. And what you need to know is there is going to be a time when what's not authentic is going to be brought to the surface. And so, and so we see that this seal, it's showing ownership, authenticity. And, 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 and so it's this commitment to God's people that they're not going to experience this divine wrath when it's poured out. And John has already seen once again, massive destruction across the earth. He's seen martyred saints in heaven praying out for, crying out for justice. And those on the earth, uh, when we last read last week, those on the earth, what were they doing? They were hiding, right? They were hiding in caves and rocks and praying for death. And so that, that, that's it. And, and, and literally the last question uh, that, that we're, we're brought to out of chapter six is, who can stand against the righteous wrath of God because it appears like no one's going to be able to. And yet, 
we see the response here, don't we? God shows John two wonderful truths. And the first is this, and this is something that only can be of God. In wrath, our God shows mercy. I know. In wrath, our God shows mercy. In, in the Old Testament, in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, um, and he's just blown away by who God is, the prophet. And he says, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so our God, like no other belief system, our God can bring about righteous wrath and bring mercy in and through it at the same time. And so, and so uh, literally God is revealing to John, look at my mercy, see it at play even amongst this wrath. And then the other truth that he's showing him is I keep my promise. I keep my promise. I, I say protection, I mean it. You have divine protection. And then we keep going in verses four through eight. And it says, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Since we're a verse by verse church, I will read what you will say is very repetitive. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Nephtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe, uh, tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 14,000, I'm just, uh, just seeing if you're still there, uh, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, uh, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, were sealed. Okay, here we go. Now, when I was preparing for this teaching, uh, <laughs> when I got to this section, because this section uh, is interpreted differently by many different exceptional theologians, not just like, oh, I think I know what I'm talking, no, like, like exceptional, like, like in incredible people uh, that, that many of you know, many of you study off of, and, uh, and, and they, they have differing opinions here. And what I've seen over the years is uh, the dogmatism that used to be taught here has softened because more and more people have listened, more and more people have researched, and more and more people have gone, huh? And, and so there's different ways to take it. Now, when I was preparing uh, one of the things that I started doing is I started going down these rabbit trails. And I had started like literally uh, in the midst of trying to prepare one teaching, I started preparing three of them. And, and I mean, I was getting so far down on, oh, this is why it's this versus that. And I just kept going, kept going. And then ultimately, I was, God was just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm figuring it out. And he's like, are you? You know? And, 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 and you're going to lose everybody by those trails. And I think what's also difficult is based upon who you listen to, and I'm not going to pretend I'm the only voice you listen to, based upon who you listen to, 
Some of you go, I'm right in this camp. And others of you go, I'm right in this camp and, and, and multiple camps. And you all have biblical reasons for it. And you're all sitting there going, Steve better say my camp, <laughs> right? Like, I feel that. Like throughout the book of Revelation, I feel it and, and I know it. And, and you know what? When I'm prepping, I'm like, yeah, I want to tell my opinions on all of this. And God's like, it ain't about your opinions. I want you to teach what the text is. Help them understand and don't miss the picture. Don't miss what's most important. And so that's what we're going to try and do. Okay. And so when we look at this, now there are some uh, very extreme positions that people have taken on who this 144,000, who they are, but there's there's two probably, there's two that are the most prominent uh, that we see. Uh, But what does it say first and foremost? It says 144,000 from every tribe of the Israelites are sealed. Now, some understand the 144,000 to be the church. Okay, so, so some interpret this uh, in a spiritual sense, okay, that, that these are all the people of God. Um, and, and so uh, this is the new Israel, the Israel fulfilled that we see prophesied about, that we see spoken of throughout the New Testament as well, and how Jesus reestablishes that these are the true uh, believers. And so that is one position uh, that people will take, that this is the same as who we're going to read about in the next uh, image here, okay? So that's, that's one spot. The other is uh, people will take this very literally, okay? And they will interpret that the 144,000 sons of Israel represent only Jewish believers who are included in the one people of God, okay? Um, so that would be taking it uh, to a very literal spot, right? Um, and, and, and listen, Either way, there are challenges. Like, no, there's, yep. Either way, either way, there are uh, challenges uh, to where you land. Like, um, you know, like, like you go, well, it's the church, right? Well, then, man, you got a lot of work to do with Romans 11 and, and some other places uh, that, that are challenging, Okay, uh, when you say, well, well, it's literal. This is, this is only those uh, from the nation of Israel. That's it. Well, well the problem, there's, there's problems with that, right? Like, uh, especially if you're of the, of the view that's like, everything is, is extremely literal in the book of Revelation. You got some major stuff to wrestle with. And I know a lot of people that, that if, if you have that position, there's also areas that you agree aren't literal. And, and so you have to reconcile that. And we also have to reconcile the reality that this list of the tribes doesn't align with the list we see in the Old Testament, okay? There's some peculiarities to uh, the ordering of the list. Uh, Levi is being included when it had no inheritance with the other tribes. There, where's Dan in this? Where's Ephraim in this? Now, some of you are brand new to church and you're like, and that's why we're not going down all these rabbit trails, right? But... Here's, here's the takeaway here, okay? There are many suggestions that have been made. There's many responses, even to the things I just said. But we don't specifically know. And here's what we have to do. As much as we don't like to, we must allow God to know the secret things and not allow our ignorance of them to hinder us 
from obeying what we do know. Okay, in fact, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, I love it. It says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. See, what happens is we can get so caught up in these rabbit trails of things when, when it's not crystal clear. You guys, when God needs to be crystal clear, he is. He is. Okay, and, 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 and there's, there's times throughout scripture that you read and some of you have read like cover to cover and, and you're like, what in the world? There's other times that are a lot, there's other areas that are much more difficult to interpret, to fully understand. And in those situations, we don't just go, oh, all of this is a mess. I don't get it. I'm not trusting it. No, we hold on to what we do know and we give to God what we don't know. And, 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 and we trust him in that. And what we also need to remind ourselves is, once again, what is most important, what is most critical is always clear. And so when we find ourselves going, what is this? What is this? What is this? And, and we're, oftentimes what we do, especially with the book of Revelation, is we actually then start to miss the whole point of the image. To miss the whole point of the picture. Right? It's, it's like me with my kid and he's, and he's showing me the pictures going, ah, that doesn't make sense. He's like, no. There's a main point here. And we can't get so caught up in these details that we miss the picture. Why? Well, look at what it says next in verse nine. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So, so John now looks again and he sees this second vision, right? The second image, the second picture. And, and that first picture, that first image that we were looking at, he's looking where? He's looking at earth, right? But in this vision, in this picture, in this image, what is he looking at? heaven. He's looking into heaven and, 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 and specifically before the throne of the lamb. And what does he see here? What does he see? He sees a vast multitude, it says, so many that you can't count them all from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Okay, that's what he sees. This is the fulfillment of the promise that we see to Abraham in Genesis 17. In fact, in, in Genesis 17, five, it says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And so here he is seeing the fulfillment of that. He's seeing the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, 14, 22, and, and, and 27. And so the gospel, what we read here, which is, this is an incredible picture. The gospel is going to be heard and believed among all the peoples of the earth. All the different people groups. The nations, all of them are gonna be up there rejoicing. They're gonna be worshiping. They're gonna stand before the throne of God and before the lamb. And this also answers that last question of chapter six, right? 
Who's gonna be able to stand before the wrath of the Lamb of God? It's the redeemed. It's the redeemed that are gonna be standing there in worship. And if you're like, man, Steve, you're excited. I get so excited when I get to this spot. I just do. I'm sorry. You gotta deal with it, okay? Um, this is the redeemed. And, and so here's what I, that's so important. If we get so consumed to this excessive point with verses four through eight, we miss that in one verse, everyone's there, right? We are so like, it's them, it's them, and this is why, and who's there, and who's not there. And then the very next verse, it's almost like John started doing that, and God's like, boo. And he goes, this is heaven. This is it. This is everything. This is the final place. And who's there? People from every tribe, tongue, nation, all there, worshiping at the throne of the Lamb in heaven. And so if we get so caught up in some of these things, we miss the focus of this text being the worship of the Lamb who now shepherds all the nations together. You guys, and the other piece to this text that is so amazing, this is one of the greatest texts in all of uh, God's word when it comes to encouraging you and I to have a global missionary agenda. Why? Because Jesus right here is promising us and showing us that every nation and people group are gonna be there. And there's gonna be people that believe from all of these different people groups. And so you and I, when we read this, man, we should be motivated, right? We should think beyond just our small pond and, and be thinking on a global scale, asking the impact we're gonna make. Now, I also wanna be careful with that because for some of us, it's a lot easier for you to jump on a plane and go to a different country versus walk across the street and talk to your neighbor. Yeah, where's the amens? <laughs> right? If, if, right now, if I, if I said... Okay, okay, we are flying to, I don't know, a country that really needs Peru. We're all flying to Peru. We're going. Who's coming with me? This is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to go. You know how many people would like, let's go. A bunch of you would. In fact, I was at a service when they did that, and I stood up. And then they said the whole commitment thing, and I went, oh, no, I can't sit back down. <laughs> Guess who never went on that mission trip? Yeah. So... The, it's not about just like, for some of us, you need to first know that this starts with being missional in your neighborhood. Okay? Like, like some of us, for whatever reason, it's easier to pay a bunch of money, get on a flight, and go somewhere than it is to reach the person across the hall, the person in your house, the person down the street. And so that is critical to this. But we should always be thinking from a global perspective because God is saying, all of these different people groups are going to be reached. And that is why we need to be passionate about that and sending uh, people because this text is such an encouragement for that. And so we see all of these people from all these different nations and they're clothed in white robes, signifying purity and victory. And they're standing before the, the, the lamb of God. And they have, it says branches, these branches, these palm branches of joy and celebration and worship. I mean, they are worshiping 
Uh, you know, and it, it brings you back to Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, where, where we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and people have their palm branches and everything. And we see this imagery of this incredible worship. They're celebrating and they're crying out continually, it says, in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who's seated on the throne and to the Lamb. You guys, I, I see this and I see the excitement. I see the passion. And you know what? I, I honestly think that my view of salvation is like this. I think oftentimes we get excited. We praise God. But when I see an image like this and what are they crying out? They are just continually crying out in worship about salvation, the full uh, clarity and understanding of all that salvation means as they're in heaven and they're seeing it, they're realizing it, they're in that moment. Guys, our view of salvation needs to shift a little bit. Like there, there should be a, a, a little more excitement about what the Lamb of God has done for you and for me. To provide an opportunity for salvation, to be saved uh, from uh, just all of the, the destructive patterns of my life, all the times I've denied who God is, lived in opposition to him, and that, that literally the lamb still went to the cross for you and, and for me, um, and, and, and these people in heaven just worshiping him uh, for all that he has done and who he is. And we see the angels even join in in this worship. All the angels are standing around the, the throne and, and we see uh, imagery back from chapter five. And, and, and just like the elders did in chapter five, these angels fall on their faces before the Lord and they affirm what the saints have said. And then they add their own words of adoration and worship. And what we need to see here is all of this praise has one and one only focus. It's to our God forever and ever. See, one of the things that you will see here is language that's a little different than the language you and I operate off of. See, this worship isn't temporary, is it? This worship is eternal. This worship isn't for a moment when the right song hits, when the right person's leading it, uh, when things go your way. This is forever worship. This is the praise of all the nations, all the angels collectively coming together and praising God. This is what echoes in heaven. And, uh, you know, for you and I, I, I think that, I, you know, as I was studying this, I was thinking of the moments where, man, I just felt so close to God. Moments uh, when I'm just like overwhelmed with this presence, moment, whether it's in a song, whether it's just in scripture, and it's just like, man, this is really hitting. Or maybe it was a sermon that someone was teaching to me and I'm receiving it and God is just working in my life. You know what I do in those moments? I figure out how to prolong it, right? Like when God is just like speaking to me through his word, I don't go, oh my, thanks God. No, I'm like, what else? When, when, when I'm caught in just worshiping God, I'm not like, when are they going to stop now? Right? Like, I'm like, let's keep going. When he is, man, when, when, when his presence is so real for you, you're not trying to run from that. You're trying to get everything out of it that you can. Okay? Uh, even some of you that you're like, man, I don't know what that was yet. And God's like, oh, it's me. And, and you were like, how do I prolong this? Right? You guys, just imagine, this is only a taste. And imagine all of eternity in heaven and we're right there in his presence. 
and, and, and we're just worshiping him. Do you think anything else is gonna matter? Do you think we'll be like, hey, how do we speed this thing up? No, we're gonna be experiencing the fullness of every desire of our heart, the fulfillment of it. And so we're gonna be worshiping with all these people from different backgrounds, all these people that look differently than you and me all together collectively. And then in verses 13 through 17, it says, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Okay. Um, this scene is, 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 gets crazy, doesn't it? I mean, he's there. He's watching this. He's seeing this. And then, oh no. One of these elders starts walking towards him. Right? Not supposed to be here, right? Like, <laughs> I would be so intimidated. I would be like, like anything, right? Some of you have had someone approach you at church and you did that. You're like, oh, what do I do? Pretend you're praying. Um, it's the only thing, you know? And, uh, and so John's there, they approach him and, and the elder, and I love this scene. This is awesome. S says, who are they? And John's like, like, I don't know. You do. Clearly, you know. Right? And the elder then responds with who these people are, doesn't it? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. It says they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And we see this expression coming to fruition from Daniel chapter 12, verse one, when he describes this tribulation. At, at that time, it says, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And so Daniel, as he's writing this, and Daniel is full of prophecy. Um, as Daniel is writing this future event, he's, he's looking towards this, this end time, uh, the times of this great tribulation for the people of God. Now, uh, some point to this as, uh, the, the, and use this phrase, the great tribulation, and say that the angel here is referring primarily to uh, the final series of woes that we're gonna talk about next week, which will immediately precede the end. So this is that hour of trial. This is that end point, okay? Others will view this uh, as the totality of the tribulation, okay? So in other words, what this is, is this is the experience of God's people throughout the entire history of the church, past present and future. And so this is the culmination of all that's already been happening. Okay. And so they would point to that's already been kickstarted when Christ went to heaven and the spirit came down. Okay. And, and, and so, and, and we actually uh, look at some of the churches that he's writing to and they're experiencing some of these very things. Okay. Um, and so we see that is an opinion as well, but either way we see it address this specific 
period of time, um, and, and, we, and we see it happening right before the return of Christ. And so he's there, and he's seeing these individuals that have stood faithfully for Christ in the midst of opposition, uh, and, and, and their robes, it says, are white by virtue of the redemptive death of the Lamb. This is what's so backwards with this is the reality that (laughs) your robe that you have here when we're in the presence of God is only white because of his red blood. In fact, Daniel 11, 35 uh, alludes to this. And, And so the thing that's so difficult for us to wrap our minds around. And yet the thing that also leads into praise is the reality that he took my dirty, my nasty garment, right? That was just full of all these things and all these areas, all of these sins that were in opposition to God. He took that robe and through the blood of the lamb, through Christ's work on the cross, he washes it. And it's through that blood that then it comes out white. He says, here, this is your new robe. You go, that's, that's incredible. It's because of that that they get to, to serve in this worshipful service day and night in his temple for all of eternity. It will be your and my joyful privilege to serve in the worship of God. And it just reminds me of John 16, 33 where Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, regardless of your end time position, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen, right? So so we see, and, and then we see this imagery. Once again, the one seated on the throne, he's gonna shelter the people. He's going to shepherd. He's going to shelter us. He's, he's with them. He's in their midst. Never again will they feel forsaken. Never again will they feel abandoned. When you read Psalms and you read David, you're like, can he say that to God? Because he's crying out, I feel alone. There's nobody left. All of these things. I'm disappointed. Where are you, God? Things that you and I have probably echoed. Things that you and I have said when we were disappointed, when we were discouraged, when we felt alone in this. And, and what he's saying here is never again. Never again. He will shelter them. He is there uh, in, our, uh, in, in, the, in our presence. And, and so we experience his presence and his protection forever. He provides all of our needs. Uh, the language uh, he uses here comes from Isaiah 49.10. Um, every need is met by the lamb who is, and as we now see, is our shepherd. Which is, a, we saw him as the, Lamb, lion, and now we see the lamb who's also a shepherd. See, he's a shepherd in the midst of the throne. Every single person needs a shepherd for their soul. Every person does. And we see all of these promises about a shepherd in the Old Testament. And then we arrive to the New Testament where all of these Old Testament promises and themes find their fulfillment in Jesus. And so we see he protects his sheep, he provides for them. He leads them and there will be no more sadness. Did you catch that? Like, like 
Like some of you think that you're gonna go to heaven and as you're in heaven worshiping God, it's gonna be a highlight reel of all of your failures. Like some of us think that. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh. The last thing that you're gonna be thinking about when you're worshiping in the presence of God is like, oh, why did I do that? Oh man, I wish I could go back. Or what happened to that? Like, no, he's gonna wipe away every tear. There'll be no more mourning, no more, no more sadness. He removes it all. And then we finish with chapter eight, verses one through five. And he says, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Great, that's easy. (laughs) But what we see is going back to the seals, right? And so the lamb now breaks the seventh seal and all of heaven, we read, is silent for about 30 minutes, right? So, uh, and, and that's just symbolic for a short period of time. And so all of heaven waits with anticipation to see what Jesus is gonna do next. What, what, what's gonna happen as he judges, right? Um, and, and, and so different people have different opinions as to why heaven is silent. Some say it's silent so we can hear the prayers. Uh, but what seems most likely is that this is a dramatic pause before the judgments are about to fall upon the earth. And we see this in the Old Testament as uh, well. Uh, In Zephaniah chapter one, verse seven, uh, it says, be silent before the Lord God for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. In in Zechariah chapter two, verse 13, be silent all flesh before the Lord for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Okay, so so literally, this is the anticipation, the expectation that the final hour, the final time of judgment is coming where the saints are gonna be rescued. Sin is gonna be punished. Satan's gonna be dealt with and Christ is gonna be exalted. And then we see the Lord gives seven trumpets to these seven angels who stand in the presence. And as he does this, another angel separate from those seven comes before the altar. Do not miss this comes before the altar with a gold incense burner. And he's given this large amount of incense to offer. However, something though is unique that's mixed with the incense that he has to offer. What is it? It's the prayers of all the saints. Don't don't miss this. This is one of those pictures. Don't get caught in the side trails. The incense and prayers of the saints, they rise up as this fragrance, this sweet fragrance and aroma into the very presence of God. Okay, so, I mean, here's here's the takeaway. You guys, for centuries, Jesus followers have been praying what? They've been praying what Jesus told them to pray. Thy kingdom come, right? Thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so we've been praying this. We've been crying out, God, let's go. Where are you at? Make it right. 
We're praying for your kingdom to come. God, we want to see your will be done. It's echoed all throughout church history, that prayer. And what has the enemy been trying to do? He's been trying to tell you that prayer doesn't work. God's not listening to it. He's trying to block that prayer request, right? And discourage you. In fact, when we were going through First and Second Peter, we saw how even people are gonna try to cause you to doubt that reality. And, and, and so that's all around us. And yet what we hear by the authority of God's word is that he has been receiving that. He has been taking that in. It is a sweet aroma. He's been hearing your requests. He hasn't been ignoring you. He's been listening as you've cried out to him. Uh, as, and, and, and he loves that, okay? And, and so your prayers have not been in vain. Those prayers have been heard. Uh, those very prayers uh, are a delight. They're a fragrance to him. And even through these prayers that we see, in some divine, inexplicable providence, we see that these Prayers actually become the means whereby God moves into action. And he brings his kingdom. These prayers essentially mobilize. We see the angel takes this incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and he hurls it towards the earth. This imagery is crazy. And there that follows is the rumblings of thunder, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. See a parallel passage in Ezekiel chapter 10, and this is symbolizing God's judgment. A day of reckoning has arrived. A storm is coming, and it's flowing out of the prayers of Jesus' followers. The same. And guys, this, this actually reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verse 19, where it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, so, so he says, I've got that. Some of us are really angry. Some of us are really, um, uh, we want this made right. We want to go after that, right? And all these things. And he says, listen, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. I've got it. My timing is perfect. I'm not late. I hear you. I'm receiving what you say. Keep crying out to me, but trust me, wait on the Lord. I'm giving you a glimpse. I'm showing you what is to come. And so we need to wait on him. We need to hold on to the reality. He hears our prayers that he's not going to be late. He is always right on time. Now, is it ever your time? But he's always right on time. Um, Adrian Rogers says, when there is no hope on the horizontal level, there's always hope on the vertical level. Okay, um, you guys, and, and the question we have to ask with this is, are our prayers directed towards obtaining benefit for ourselves or for the glory of God? Ooh. And that hits differently, doesn't it? When I'm going to the Lord, when I look at my time with the Lord, when I look at the request, when I look at what I'm talking to about, when I'm bearing my soul before the Lord, Who's it about? And I think what's really hard, what's convicting is oftentimes when I go to the Lord, it's about me. And my glory, my agenda, my timing, my motives, what I want to see him do, how I want to see him come through. And yet my purpose and my posture should be about bringing his glory. 
right? And so I think for some of us, we've got to evaluate, man, who's getting the glory from even our prayers before him? And what's our motive? What's our agenda in that? And we see that he's listening, he's hearing, he's receiving it. But is it glorifying him? Is he the point? Is he the purpose for your prayers? And so I think that's one huge takeaway for us to wrestle with today. And I think the other is this. When it comes to the authenticity of your belief, is it there? Is it there? If we went around the room and we said what we claim to believe, would the spirit of God slap that certificate of authenticity on your back? If not, what's going on? What do you really believe? What do you really think about Jesus? Do you really believe what he said, who he says he is, what he did for you and for me? The gospel, the work of Jesus on the cross for you and for me, the resurrection, the opportunity to have a relationship with a perfect and holy God so that you and I are up there worshiping for all of eternity. I either believe it to the core of my being or I don't. And that's the same for you.